Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. The passage I'll be preaching from this week is again from Luke chapter 8, but this week we're only going to be looking at verses 43 through 48. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and fell down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, um, we long um, to be assured of your gospel this morning. No matter how long we have been following you, we still need it every day. And so I pray that the gospel truth that is so um, powerfully demonstrated in this passage would fill our hearts so that we could leave uh, this worship service the same way um, that woman left her encounter with you, that we would leave in the peace of your assurance your love, your forgiveness. I pray you would break through um, the obvious barriers here of me preaching to a camera and uh, people watching a screen. I pray that all of that would fade away and your spirit would be with us in power. Help me, Lord, to preach as I should. I ask this in your name. Amen. Last week's sermon, we uh, looked in detail at Jairus' story and, and kind of glossed over the story of the woman who was healed in the middle of Jairus' story. But in the same way that I argued that the miracle of uh, Jairus' daughter had a unique lesson for us in this hour because it's such a unique miracle, well, I believe this woman's story does as well because it's, it's likewise a very unique healing in many ways. 
And so what I wanted to do is return again to last week's passage, but only to look at her in particular. And what we discover in her story is the hope that we dare not forget. We've been discussing hope during these online worships for obvious reasons, particularly the past uh, few weeks uh, since Easter. We have been looking at hope through the lens of the resurrection. And um, the the resurrection hope uh, tends to take the form of the promise of our future restoration, of God making all things new, of all sad things coming untrue. And all of this is, is of course, beautiful and true, and we dare not uh, forget it. But this week, I have felt led to kind of reorient ourselves once again around the central hope of the gospel. It's not fair to... It's not fair to separate the, the cross and the resurrection and the hope that both provide. Um, they, go, they go together and one's not better than the other. But I did uh, feel the need to uh, return to uh, the promise of all promises, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, we've all got problems. And right now those problems are certainly escalated. But let us never forget especially in this heightened season of suffering. Let us never forget that every problem we face pales in comparison to the problem that we all must face. I am a sinner and I need a savior. On the surface, this story does not seem to be about the issue of sin and forgiveness. But when we dig deeper into the details, that's exactly what will emerge. And I want us to see it in two ways. We're going to look at the true disease and the true healing. Let's start with what is the true disease that we all share. Verse 43. There's a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent her, all, her, all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Now, what we see in those details is the uniqueness of this miracle compared to the other healing miracles in the gospel. And it's that this one is hopeless, yes, like the other ones, but frustratingly hopeless meaning it has the added dynamic of something should be able to be done to to fix this, and yet nothing can be done. Meaning the blind, the lame, the dead, certainly the dead, like uh, Jairus' daughter and Lazarus from the past couple of weeks, these, all, all these situations, they bear no illusion of hope. Everybody knew that there was nothing you could do to fix blindness, paralysis, and so forth. But this one... This one seems like it's it's something that should be able to be fixed. This seems like something you don't need a Jesus for. That's That's why Luke tells us that she has consulted all the doctors that she could, that she had spent all of her uh, money trying to be healed, but to no avail. As Luke says, she could not be healed by anyone. And I actually, I want to suggest that this situation is... um, in reality, far more relatable to us in our modern world. For example, as as many of you know, um, we have a beloved member of our congregation um, who recently discovered, um, has been diagnosed with ALS, uh, Sandra Marlowe, whom we all love, 
um, Sandra and Wayne have actually agreed to uh, be interviewed uh, for our, uh, on the podcast uh, this upcoming week uh, to share their story. They're being very courageous and vulnerable um, as a way to, uh, to bless others in their suffering. Um, but anyway, attending to my obvious grief and mourning over this has also been a sense of frustration. How, how come we haven't figured this one out yet? Surely with all the funding and research, I mean, we did the ice bucket challenge, for goodness sake. Surely all that money, all the research, all the science and technology, why can't we cure this cursed disease? The same applies to things like Alzheimer's and, and cancer, and yes, right now, COVID-19. This feels like something we should, be, we, we should be able to fix, and yet the cure remains frustratingly elusive. And that nuance to this story is there for a reason. It's teaching us an important lesson about the truest disease. Let me take just a moment and explain disease, not from a medical perspective, which I have no qualifications to do, but from a theological perspective. I'll explain it like this. Every disease has symptoms. And of course, what a physician does is examine the symptoms to discover the root illness that is uh, going on so that they can treat that. Well, have you ever considered whether disease itself is a symptom? What if every disease is symptomatic of a greater disease that we all share? This is what the Bible claims is so. What we see in Genesis 3 is the symptom of sin, the symptom of our rebellion is a cursed creation, a creation that is writhing in pain, collective pain together in so many ways, including sickness. Now, why would God do this? I thought God loves us. He does. And in fact, He does this because He loves us. Again, every physician will tell you that symptoms, painful though they may be, are a really, really important thing. In fact, part of the problem with something like cancer, for example, is that it can grow unnoticed in our bodies without symptoms until it's too late. Symptoms are a painful mercy to show us something is off. And this is how we are to think about the curse of this world. Everything from a sore throat to a global pandemic is telling us something is off. And what is off is us. Our active rebellion against our Creator is the disease of creation to which every disease points. That's not to say that there's a direct one-to-one -one correlation between um, rebellion and disease, like you sin and He, he gives you a disease. This, that's not the way it works. This is a corporate problem that we corporately share, and in due time, all of us must, in some unique way, experience the symptoms of a fallen world in our own way. And what we are meant to do is trace the painful symptoms back to the root illness of this sin-sick creation. Now back to the uniqueness of our passage. It's making this subtle point about our truest disease. It seems like something that we should be able to fix ourselves. Like this woman in our passage, we tirelessly labor for a cure, and yet it remains frustratingly hopeless. 
no amount of religion, no amount of philosophy, no amount of morality, no amount of success, no amount of fame, no amount of power, nothing, nothing we can do to fix the ultimate disease that we all share. And yet, we keep laboring on. Frustrated by our inability to fix this disease, we labor for a cure when there is no cure. And by the way, I'm speaking to us as Christians as well. This is not merely an evangelism sermon. This is, this is for us. Because I know you know the answer. You've heard me preach enough to know where this is all going. You, you, you know how I preach. I'm setting us up for Jesus as the ultimate cure. And yet even we who know the cure, even we still labor ourselves to cure ourselves. We don't regard Jesus as a cure. We treat him like he's an antiviral. Does that analogy make sense? An antiviral is, is not a cure. It aids the body in its own fight against the disease. So like Tamiflu doesn't cure flu. It, it helps the body fight the flu. This is how so many of us unwittingly view Jesus. He, he is a helpful treatment option in my fight for my salvation from sin. My morality, my repentance, my discipline, my giving, my evangelism, my impact for Him, along with a little Tama Jesus, and we shall be saved. Friends, that's a lie. And that's why this woman's story is a very important one for us. Despite all of her efforts, despite 12 years spending all her money to fix herself, despite this being, this being something that seems like it should be fixable, verse 43 still ends with that troubling decree, she could not be healed by anyone. But does that therefore imply that healing is impossible? For us, yes. For Jesus, no. It is very possible for Jesus to heal. Let's look now at the true healing. It's fascinating what transpires here. Uh, again, a very unique miracle, unlike any other. Pick up the story in verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? Now that question is crazy, uh, because Jesus is crammed into the middle of a crowd, and, and that's what Peter points out to him. Peter says, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. In other words, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about who touched me? But not everyone's touching him like this woman. Verse 46, But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. This is a different touch. This is the touch of faith. He's in a crowd. Within that crowd is a plethora of unique sufferings. Everyone who bumps up against Jesus is hurting in some way, such as the nature of this broken world. But it's not as though Jesus is this indiscriminate fountain of redemption, like some magic stick that if you could just touch him, you'll get healed. 
No, He is a fount of redemption, but His redemption is reserved for those who see Him as their only hope of redemption. For those who see Jesus as the sole object of their hope and trust, or to use the language of Scripture, those who have faith in Jesus. He says, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Someone touched me in a different way, a touch that invoked my power. That's the touch of faith. And then in verse 48, he says it explicitly. He said to her, daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. Not your touch, your faith has made you well. Now, if you lifted this verse out of context, and there are some who do that, uh, then it would appear that the instrument of healing is her faith. Your faith has made you well. Okay, well then, faith heals us. Now, according to this view, it all comes down to the sincerity or the quality of your faith. But that completely misses the point of the passage. Power came from Jesus in response to faith. Faith isn't the power. Jesus is the power. And it's faith that connects us to Jesus and the power of His salvation. So it's not faith. It's not the sincerity of faith. It's the object of faith. It's not how strong is your trust. It's the, it's, it's the strength of the one you trust in. This is why Jesus declared a mustard seed of faith is sufficient. Even the most broken faith, besieged by doubts, tested by travails, struggling to hang on faith, even that unites us to Jesus who cannot fail. Fail to do what, though? He cannot fail to heal. Well, there are a lot of people who have faith in Jesus that are not healed. Actually, they are healed. Every single one who looks to Jesus shall be healed. Healed of their truest disease. What is this woman's problem in our text? The obvious answer is her bleeding. But that's not what's concerning her. No doubt it's a suffering, but not a life-threatening one. This isn't like Jairus, whose, whose daughter is about to die from last week. And yet the passage still has a feel of an equal amount of desperation. Why is that? Well, look at verse 47. And when the, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now, she is trembling with fear like she has been exposed for something. And then it says that she, when, she could, when, she, when it was obvious she couldn't hide anymore, that she had to declare in the presence of all why she touched him, as if she had to explain her touch and there was something wrong with her touch. This feels like a public confession of sorts, and that's because it was a public confession. Let me read to you a portion of the Levitical law from the Old Testament. This is Leviticus 15. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, nor uh, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has had a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge sh she shall continue in uncleanliness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. 
Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. Now, I have zero time to explain the theology behind the cleanliness laws, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, okay? We're not going there. So let's just, let's, just, let's just set aside the question of why this makes someone unclean in the Old Testament and just deal with the fact that according to, uh, according to Jewish law, this woman was unclean. And unlike the normal uh, menstrual cycle, which was a monthly season of uh, uncleanliness, uh, this was a perpetual 12-year exile. She was unclean, and everything she touched would become unclean. You want to talk about social distancing? Imagine that you were the carrier, not of COVID-19, but of condemnation. Imagine that anything you touched would become an instrument of defilement that could literally make other people unclean. And listen, when we say unclean, you have to understand in the Jewish mind, that doesn't mean dirty, okay? That means cut off from the people of God. Unclean meant unacceptable in the sight of God. Now do you understand her fear and trembling? When Jesus stops and says, who touched me? She's been caught. Unlike the other healings in the gospel, she's just hoping to sneak in, go unnoticed, and in a small breach of Levitical law, just touch the edge of his garment in order to be clean again. And he stops and he said, who just touched me? Now, come on. We know Jesus knows who touched him, right? But this is a setup. To make a point. So with fear and trembling, she bows before him and she confesses it to everyone in the crowd, ready to receive the condemnation that Levitical law demands. But instead, the Savior offers unexpected words of love. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well is not her healing. That had already happened. She was already healed. Your faith has made you well means your faith has made you clean. Now go in peace. The peace of God's acceptance. The peace of God's favor. The peace of forgiveness. But there's more to the story. Remember, according to Levitical law, any garment she touched is now unclean. And so what this means is that she leaves clean, but Jesus doesn't. She heads off in peace. Jesus heads off to Calvary. Again, this is what is so unique about this miracle and why it speaks to our most fundamental disease. Jesus raises uh, Jairus' daughter or um, healing of the blind or the deaf or the lame. That did nothing to Jesus. But this one is different. This one, according to the law, makes Jesus now the unclean outcast. 
He doesn't just heal her burden, He takes her burden. And nothing, nothing could be a more fitting picture of the ultimate reason why our Savior has come. Not to heal our disease, but to take our disease. You see, our truest disease requires a healing that goes far beyond the words of Jesus. It can't go away like that. The disease requires a new host, and Jesus becomes that host. The Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. Our blessed Jesus, infected with my sin. Think about that. Not just the big sins that you think about all the time. Consider the pervasive vastness of your sin. All your greed, all your lust, all your coveting, all your hatred, all your lies, all your evil, all your filth, all your shame. Think about it while also knowing that you don't, what you know doesn't come close to scratching the surface of how deep this sin problem truly goes. But Jesus does know. Jesus knows it all because He took it all. He became what we fear to name. And because of what He endured, we are now pure. My goodness, what a Savior. How can we possibly thank Him? How can we possibly honor Him? How can we possibly express our love to Him? What can we do in response to such a healing? His answer is easy. Enjoy it. My application for us this day is His application to this woman. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. If you have faith in Jesus, and by the way, if you are listening in and you do not have faith in Jesus, what in heaven's name are you waiting for? Friends, your soul is sick. You have a sin-sick soul. And I'm telling you, there actually is a cure. I am announcing the good news that a cure to sin's disease has been discovered. And you're not going to accept that? Please, I can't, I can't force you to accept the cure, but I can beg you to accept the cure. And I am begging you to accept the cure to sin's disease through faith in Jesus. But back to those of faith. Now remember, by the way, a mustard seed will do here. It's not the strength of faith, but the object of faith. Only a fearful touch of His garment will do. To the people of faith, the application is this. Your faith has made you well. Now would you please go in peace? Listen, I know you've got problems, big problems, problems only escalated by a crisis, but your truest, ultimate, eternal problem has been resolved. Surely you could go in peace knowing that despite any and all lesser problems. 
So go in peace. Nothing would honor Jesus more than for you to enjoy the peace that he died to provide. So no doubts, no fears, no hesitations, no reservations, no introspective analysis trying to determine whether your faith is genuine enough, whether this is actually true for you. Stop all of it. It's true. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. Your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. For the love of Jesus, go in peace. Let's pray. Implanted upon our hearts, O oh God, remind us, assure us, convert us, restore us. Oh, Jesus, you who are infected with our sin, that we might be clean. All we can do is say thank you, a thousand thank yous, eternal thank yous will not be enough, but we say thank you, and we now go to enjoy the peace that the sin of disease has been healed. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.